So I was very conflicted about releasing the episode that you're about to hear. The sound quality on the end of my guess is not up to the standard at which I usually hold this show. And I've completely scrapped previous interviews because the sound quality was so bad. I didn't want to subject that to you. I didn't want that to be uh, representing me and my work out there in the world. But my guest, Teresa Shaheen's words, her wisdom, her perspective on social entrepreneurship was so good. And it was listenable. It's not, you know, the best listening experience, but it was listenable. So I'm deciding to release it. I'm recording this right now at my new apartment in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And uh, that also contributes to the kind of wonky release schedule recently. But I just wanted to to put that out there as a forewarning. Uh, Teresa is a professor at Harvard University. She does a lot of deep thinking about social entrepreneurship and teaching her students how to make a dent in the universe. So a lot of wisdom here, and I appreciate you bearing with the sound quality issues. Uh, We'll be back to the usual standard next week with Oliver Luckett and my interview with the drinking partners, Ed Bailey and Dave Bracey. Uh, But for now, here is my conversation with Teresa Shaheen. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. So, Teresa, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I'm excited to be speaking to you here today. Thanks for having me, Aaron. This is fun. There's a lot that I think we're going to get schooled on in today's episode. And I think that the best place to start the education process is just by getting your definition of social entrepreneurship down to kind of get the foundation and then we'll build off of that. So you want to just start off uh, with your definition that you use when explaining it to students? Absolutely. The way I look at social entrepreneurship is that this is when you've identified a problem or a challenge that society is facing and you want to solve it. You want to tackle that challenge. And so you get to know about it and learn about why it exists, what are the root causes, who is affected, and how are they experiencing this problem. And then you design a solution around it and test it and iterate it and usually these social problems are really hard to tackle and so it takes a lot of prototyping and cycling before you find something that works and then you roll it out in a way that's financially viable. So that makes it a little bit different from traditional social service or public health which is where my training comes in and it's also a little bit different from traditional business because Profit here is a means to an end. It's not an end in and of itself. You're actually trying to change the world and help others, not just yourself. Gotcha. One of the best examples, it's it's funny that we were having this conversation. I was listening to an interview the other day with a company called Zipline, which is a great example of this. They deliver medical supplies in Rwanda using drones. And when they were explaining their business, they were talking about how they got the question that, you know, is this like a charitable act or is this something where like you're just kind of being sponsored to provide this humanitarian effort? And they even explain their cause as humanitarian. And they're very quick to point out that, no, 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 we are in the black. We are making a profit on the business that we're conducting and yet simultaneously providing this public good to the people of Rwanda who otherwise wouldn't have access to these medical supplies. So that's just one example. I'm sure you've got many, many more of how people can go about this. But 
when to actually start down the path of just understanding a little bit more about how you got interested in this subject and what led to your development of a textbook on the topic? Okay, sure. Well, first I want to say I really like this example that you're using. I think that if people are able to use drones to deliver medications to underserved populations in Rwanda and make a profit out of it, then really everybody's benefiting. And I'm sure that they had to somehow, first of all, they clearly built this business around getting medications to underserved populations, right? And so that's really what makes it social entrepreneurship is that it's built around solving the social problem. So I'm really inspired by the example you chose and I'm sure the listeners are too. And one thing that I want to tell you before I get into my background is that the most challenging thing in social entrepreneurship is really building the solution around the people and the problem. So it's not a matter of, oh, we've got drones. What's something cool that we can do with them? That's a hammer looking for a nail, which I always tell my students to avoid. It's really about, okay, these people in Rwanda can't get medications. What are the different ways we can solve it? And so drones might be one way, or fixing the roads might be another way, or providing better transportation or community health workers that can get to the people might be some other ways. And so that's why we always start first by understanding the problem and trying to get as deep down the pathway of the root causes that cause the problem as we can. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and, it, and there really is a, a strong element of humanism behind the problem solving that you associate with the entrepreneurship where, you know, the, the example that just getting back to this, um, this drone delivery is, you know, people are talking about, well, a drone's going to deliver my six pack or, or something to my house sometime soon. And he laughs, he goes, if we have that, then we have to have already figured out delivering medicine to people in need. The, the, not only is the um, financial support going to be there, but also just the public acceptance. If you're trying to petition for a regulator to allow this certain airspace to be designated for drones, it's a much easier sell and a much more reasonable conversation if you're saying we're delivering medicine to people in need as opposed to a six-pack or something like that. Right, and, and I do want to say that there's different levels of social entrepreneurship, and I really want to challenge our listeners today to think about what are the different levels they can operate at. So getting, level, getting medicine to people is really important, and it's, it's an action that you can take where you have a short-term impact, and you can see your results immediately. Another way to look at it is, okay, this is kind of a band-aid, like I'm getting the medicine to the people, but I'm not really solving the root causes behind why they're not having access to medicine. So maybe in parallel, I can also partner with organizations that are thinking about what are the root causes. It could be government corruption, it could be a weak health system, or weak physical infrastructure in terms of roads and transportation. So what I want to say is that it's already hugely ambitious to deliver medications by drones, and that's great. And don't stop there, like really hack the problem. Don't just apply a Band-Aid. So think about how you can solve this once and for all. And maybe once the population gets healthier because they're getting their medications, you can mobilize them to improve the health infrastructure, maybe improve the local governance that's really behind this weak health infrastructure. Do you see what I mean? So it's having a bigger vision than just, you know, let's deliver something with drones. And, and how is that generally received? I know that you are lecturing on that at Harvard currently. Can you talk about how that's received by students? Where do they sometimes get tripped up or need clarification or questions answered to that end? 
Well, I think there's a lot of frustration because there's so many complicated pathways that lead to these problems. So one of the diagrams that I use in my book, and you can Google this great video by Matt Andrews at the Harvard Kennedy School where he explains it, is called Sticky Problems. How can we solve sticky problems? And he uses this diagram where called the fish diagram, the Ishikawa, where you, you write the problem and you circle it. And then you write a line coming out of it and you say, how am I going to think about all the different causes of this problem? For example, poverty, corruption, bad roads, weak health infrastructure. And then which cause am I going to tackle? Or am I just going to get around them all by airlifting something in? And so I think that the most challenging aspect and the things my students struggle with the most is, is really designing the solution and testing what is the best way to solve this problem. So you might start with drones and then you might work on other root causes so that you're really transforming the face of this problem. And a good quote that illustrates this mentality of the true social entrepreneur that won't stop at anything to solve the problem is by Bill Drayton, who is really one of the founders of the social entrepreneurship movement, and he's the CEO of Ashoka, Innovators for the Public. And he says, you know, the typical quote is that instead of giving someone a fish, you teach them to fish. But social entrepreneurs, they don't just give someone the medication, and they don't just teach them how to get the medication. They won't stop till they've transformed the entire fishing industry or the entire pharmaceutical or medical industry. And so that's really what I challenge my students to think about. How can we all work together? Okay, great, you've got your drone business up and running. Who else is tackling this problem? How can we join forces and really hack this problem and make it completely irrelevant and knock it out of the ballpark? It's hard. It's Once you start thinking about the scope of these challenges, it's hard to get really discouraged and say, well, I can't solve this. But I think that taking concrete, tangible steps like these guys did, well, first, let's find a way to get the medicine to the people, is the best way to start. And I think that understanding the problem is really, really important. And that's what differentiates social entrepreneurship from, you know, just regular everyday business. And I think that, you know, particularly the generation that you're, that is currently in school, uh, my peers, the millennials, have those really big aspirations of working with a purpose and making a difference and to steal a jobs quote, making their dent in the universe. But I think that has to be paired with the understanding that a lot of this stuff is a stair-step evolution, a stair-step development where your aspirations for the really big change that you want to see and create has to start somewhere perhaps smaller than your end goal, but recognizing that these things pick up momentum and build off of themselves to the end of that change that you're trying to create. And, and that, that big thinking has to be paired with the understanding that it's not going to happen overnight. That is really good advice, Erin, because I think that you have to be in it for the long run. You can't be in it for the excitement of starting something new. I mean, that's definitely part of the fun, but even if it's not you that stays in it for the long run, you have to think about succession planning. If I start something, what's going to be the next phase? And it's always good to start simple and think about, okay, what's going to happen after I achieve this? How do I get more people and more resources to take it to the next level? Now to get back to what you asked me earlier, and, and I hear what you're saying about how people are increasingly frustrated with traditional careers. I started in the basic sciences, and I was basically in the situation where 
I went to high school and undergrad in Lebanon. I went to the American University of Beirut. This is where I originally come from. And it's a very challenging environment, and there's so much to be done. And there's such poor vocational counseling that the advice that I got in high school was like, hey, you're the first in your class, you should be a doctor. And so I registered as a biology pre-med student. And then I realized I hate memorizing stuff. And I actually don't like hospitals. I don't want to go to a hospital every day. Why does this have to be my default career? Be a doctor or be an engineer. I was like, no, I want to do something more creative. And, and so I ended up studying genetics because that's the kind of decision you make when you're 21. I'm going to study genetics and I'm going to find a cure for cancer. And then I realized, well, that's actually not how it works. You have hundreds of thousands of geneticists working for decades and they incrementally pool their knowledge and get closer to fighting cancer but you're not going to find a cure for cancer and so then I, my next thought process will, was well what can I do so that I can actually see the impact in my lifetime and so that I can actually solve the problems that I see around me here in Lebanon every day um, and really work with people I wanted to work with people and so that's how I got into public health and I came here to the U.S. to study at the Harvard School of Public Health, and that's where I did my doctoral degree. And I ended up running regression models and crunching numbers, and it was just really quantitative and very research-based. And I found myself frustrated again, like, why are they training me in analyzing the problem? What I really want to do is be trained in finding the solution. So when I graduated, I went back to the curriculum committee, and I told them, this is unacceptable. I spent five years here. And I didn't get any training in solution making, only in you know research and, and analyzing problems. And so that's why I founded the first course in social entrepreneurship at the Harvard School of Public Health, because I felt that public health students need training in thinking about things from A to Z. Okay, yes, we have to study the problem, but our job can't be done there. We can't say, we're giving you information on the problem, now it's up to someone else to solve it. We have a moral obligation to solve it. And we all feel really restless and unsatisfied with the progress that mankind has made up till now. So what can we do to push it to the next step and really formulate and implement solutions? And so that's what I've been working on since then. And I think that anyone from any background, whether law, education, biotech, business administration, can really be thinking about, okay, so I've been trained in this field and I have these skills, now, how can I take them and put them into a solution and offer something to society that people value and that takes mankind one step further? I love it. And I think that there's such an important insight there that there is a distinct difference between researching and documenting a process versus, I would say, tinkering or problem solving and actually creating a new solution and that that recognition that you had is is so powerful and i think that it's something a lot of people miss um it's something you know that i've only really recently come to appreciate the difference between those two things so i, I think it's awesome that you're building a curriculum around that and i know that you also created your own textbook around this concept can you take us into the weeds a little bit on the development of a textbook we've had previous authors come on the show who you know wrote a novel or wrote a non-fiction self-development arena but this is kind of a different project so can you take us into the weeds a little bit on that 
Sure. And, and here, for me, it was really, I wrote the textbook to scale my impact in the sense that, okay, I fought this fight, I created this course for my school, but there's so many other schools that need courses like this, and so how can I replicate this? So I basically put the course down on paper and thought, let me create a textbook so that any instructor or even any student can either take this course and learn what I teach, or start a new course in a new university or company or nonprofit or whatever to train people and help them practice how to be a social entrepreneur. Now the process of writing the textbook is actually very similar to writing a novel or something else in the sense that, like one of your former podcasts was saying, you have to write every day. So I had a day job when I was working on this textbook. I was running El Fanar, which is a venture philanthropy organization in Lebanon that supports social entrepreneurs. And I had a lot of work to do, but there's no excuses. I would basically start my day by working for one or two hours on the textbook before I checked email, before I checked my phone. Everything is on silent. I'm sitting in a corner and I'm thinking about my textbook and that, for me, was the best way to do it in terms of just making incremental progress. Because when you think about such a huge project, it's overwhelming. But when you think about, okay, just what am I going to do today? And then at the end of the session, I record what I've done in a logbook. And I write down the next steps so that the next morning or the next evening, it could be for someone else after they've done with their work, I know where to pick up and I am not that scared or confused. And this applies not only to writing the book, but also to creating your social venture. It's really about taking the incremental steps and recording what you've done in a really scientific way, figuring out what works and what doesn't, and just keep trying at it and, and just think about what you can do today. And, and with many days and many weeks and many months, you'll be so surprised at the progress that you've made rather than putting it off and thinking, oh, one day I'll just like work on this really intensely and solve it. Yeah, it's, it's piecemeal, it's day by day, and those habits are what create such amazing change. I love it, and I love the mission that you have behind the book, Teresa. Can you talk a little bit more about where, I don't want to say necessarily students get hung up, but you develop this curriculum um, and actually a whole new master's degree program at Harvard. But I'm curious if there's ever been resistance to these ideas or have people had to come around to this line of thinking? Because you kind of acknowledged that this was, you talked about going to the administration and saying that you had these gripes with how things were run. Was there, was there pushback? Was there coaxing? Or was it something that you kind of got people on board pretty quickly? I did get people on board quickly because a lot of people felt the same frustration that I did that we need to be action-oriented. But I will tell you that there is pushback from both the scientific community, which is where I come from in my training, and from the business community, which social entrepreneurship really fuses the social services and the business management and both of them seem to find that this is fluffy you know like oh these are soft skills it's not like hard science in terms of you're not in the lab or running regression models and it's not cutting-edge business where you're maximizing profit and taking over you know other companies and things like that and my response to that is that actually it's not either one of those it's really hard and it really is technical it might seem fluffy to you because it makes you feel good to think about it, but not everything inspirational is fluffy. The most inspirational leaders have substance, and social entrepreneurship is based on substance. 
it is a methodology and it is a mindset. And it's not too different from the scientific method. I mean, we all studied the scientific method in elementary school, right? Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Get your hypothesis, do the experiment. Exactly. You formulate a hypothesis, you test it out, you record what you did, you keep testing and iterating till you get some results, then you put them out there for discussion, as other scientists push back and you start the cycle over and over again. This is the same as the lean startup method where you create a prototype, you test it with your customers, and it's very iterative and cyclical, and you're getting feedback before rolling it out into the market. And so I think that social entrepreneurship is harder than traditional business, and it's harder than traditional science because it fuses the two. And that's why I think that it can really apply across subjects and across areas of expertise because the whole idea is to break down silos where you don't think of yourself as just an engineer or just a business person or just a lawyer. You think of yourself as a member of society who has an obligation to improve things and who everyone needs to have the skills to think about how am I going to do my work in a socially impactful way. You mentioned that it is the entrepreneurship in addition to having these other elements and I want to I want to maybe say if if someone's out there listening or you talk to a young entrepreneur who says, you know, the odds are already stacked against me. We hear all the statistics about how many uh, small businesses or new businesses fail to get off the ground. If I or some listeners saying, you know, if I'm adding this additional element to it, am I just making it even harder on myself and further reducing my chances for success? Uh, what would you say to someone who brings that fear or doubt? I hear your question, and I get this a lot in Lebanon because the economy is already so bad, and it's hard enough to make a profit when you're just trying to do commerce. So what about when you're actually trying to do it in a socially beneficial way? Um, you will have lower profit margins, and I think that you're just competing in a different market because you're... In a way, you are competing with pure businesses, and in a way, you are competing with traditional nonprofits. But I think that what you can do to differentiate yourself in the market is use the social value to give you a competitive edge. A lot of people see it as a trade-off, but I actually see it as an added value, and I think that customers see it that way increasingly so. And I know that the statistics are discouraging and that you have to try something nine times before you succeed. And I, I understand the practical implications of that. And that's why I always emphasize that when I say everybody can be a social entrepreneur, I don't necessarily mean that you have to start your own company and that you can't work with an existing organization. I think that you can be an entrepreneur and start your own company either full-time or if you're employed, but there's also a third choice in the sense that you can be an entrepreneur within an existing organization. And there are so many corporations and nonprofit institutions and all these different types of existing organizations doing great work, and they want to hire entrepreneurial thinkers who will innovate inside an existing structure, and they call them intrapreneurs because they're working inside an organization rather than starting a new one. But that's actually where you can have even huger impact because you don't have to think about setting up a new entity and all the costs and challenges that come with that. You can think about how to take the power and the leverage of an existing institution that others have built where you have a huge workforce and many resources at your disposal 
and coming up with new ventures or even ways of doing existing products and services that is improved and that is beneficial. And so I think that when our listeners think about, well, how can I be a social entrepreneur? It doesn't have to mean drop everything and start your own company. I totally agree. And I would even throw a fourth method in there of once you kind of see things through the lens of social entrepreneurship and can recognize other businesses that are doing that type of work. One of the things, you know, I've had these discussions with the recent uh, political elections and the strife around that, not trying to get political here, but making the point that you vote every day with your dollars, with your attention, with the things that you are sharing and supporting. And so when you recognize other outfits or institutions that are doing that good work, you know, pledging in some way your support to them is another way to kind of help make this change happen if you aren't necessarily starting the business yourself. It absolutely is. Corporations these days have a bigger budget than many countries in the world and even hire more people than many countries in the world. And so as a consumer, you are very powerful because you can influence the trajectory of the companies that you buy from. And even as a a social change maker, you're very powerful because you can introduce the changes that you think need to be made in your community, whether or not the current administration is working on them or has the same vision as you. So both as a consumer and as an entrepreneur, you can make incredible changes, even without actually changing your work, but your lifestyle and your consumption and your the things that you do outside of work. Absolutely. Uh, this has been great. I think a lot of listeners are going to be fired up, Teresa, to go be that change that they want to see in the world. Yeah. Before we wrap up with how to connect with you and the personal challenge, I want to make sure there wasn't anything I just didn't give you a chance to say today. Well, I guess the, the main thing I want to say is that you don't have to make drastic changes in your life to make an impact. My advice to listeners is to think about where they stand in society in terms of what are the challenges they face every day or they observe others facing, how do they interact with those challenges, and what are the resources at their disposal in terms of either their training or organizations in their community, what are some ways that they can connect with others to start making the changes that they want to see. I want to advise people that you are way more powerful than you think, either as a social innovator or as a consumer and that there are so many more like-minded people that like you than you think so find the like-minded people find your tribe because that is what will make you more powerful and able to do things within your existing life today without changing it drastically and you can check out my textbook online a lot of it you can actually read for free on the amazon site they have this cool click inside thing Um, And it really leads you through the steps that I've put together that can help you iterate the scientific method towards cracking the social problem. And you can definitely feel free to connect with me. My social media handle is the same for Instagram and Twitter. It's my name all in one word, Teresa Shaheen. So that's T-E-R-E-S-A-C-H-A-H-I-N-E. Awesome. Well, we'll link to that all in the show notes at goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast. It'll be easy to find the show notes for this and every episode of the show. Teresa, thank you so much for coming on and sharing this insight with us. Thank you, Aaron. This was an amazing experience. And thank you for your incredible podcast. (laughs) 
Uh, well, as we do at the end of every episode, I want to have you issue a actionable personal challenge to the audience that they can take in the coming week or month. Okay, make a list of three things that really piss you off about the world you live in. And then ask yourself, which of these three things am I going to focus on and am I going to change? And then think about who else is working on this topic that you've chosen and join forces with them and find out more about what's being done and how you can add your power to that. I absolutely love it. And I think that and that includes you, Aaron. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I will. I always try to take the challenges. And I think that a really big one is the joining forces with others who are doing the same. I think if you have a mission, sometimes it can feel lonely if you're not connected with others who are also in the fight. So thank you so much for that challenge. You can't I, do it alone. Absolutely not. And I trust that people will take it. Uh, one last time, Teresa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you all. And I can't wait to hear what you've done. So definitely connect with me and let me know what happens after this. Absolutely. We just went deep with Teresa Shine. I hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Please hit subscribe if you've not already done so. As I mentioned in the intro, we have some great episodes coming down the pipe with Oliver Luckett and the drinking partners, Ed Bailey and Dave Bracey. Also, if you want to go back to some of our recent episodes, 175 with Robert Scoble and 177 with Isaac Saul have been blowing up. A ton of great feedback from listeners on those. So if you miss them, make sure you check those out, along with the full back catalog of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.